Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus a good round of applause tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank God for the cross. Hallelujah. Well, this is a great Friday night on the receiving end. And it was a great Friday night on the giver's end where he accomplished that which God had sent him that the eons of generations past had waited for the cry to come to God. You may be seated. I want to speak to you just, uh, that would, no, I just want to speak to you. Before we start our service tonight, in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, can I have that on the screen? Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, maybe beside a dusky road, maybe he's on a journey, sits down with his disciples and he's discussing with them all of the rumors that they've heard. And he begins to, and he asks them this question. For this, no, it's Matthew 16, 15. Whoop. We'll get it. There you go. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? That's a very important statement. Jesus asked a question. But who do you say I am? We cannot live off of the voices that declare us unto Christ. We must have a discovery of him of our own. Because when we know our God, then great exploits are in our life. But if we are always talking about somebody else's God, then we understand that even at best, it's watered down, it's lukewarm, it's been through the process, but it's not fresh from the lips of the Holy Ghost. And then it says this, next verse, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said unto him, Blessed art thou. Blessed. Blessing comes from knowing who Jesus is. And he says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my, by my Father which is in heaven. And then he says, next verse, And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it next verse and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever thou shalt loose in earth shall be loosed in heaven Jesus was emphatic to find out what do you believe about me they said thou art the Christ and in this revelation, the discovery of Christ must never be underestimated for our personal lives. We cannot count it cheaply. We must not gather it by somebody else's verbiage. Because they may say in one Bible that I read that Jesus doesn't heal anymore. I don't want his Jesus. But Jesus doesn't bless people anymore. I don't want that Jesus. That he doesn't help anymore. I don't want that Jesus. That he puts sickness and disease on me. I don't want that Jesus. Because I've met another Jesus. And I know that you have met another Jesus. But when that rock of that revelation of who is Jesus... When that is laid in our life, it becomes the very basis and foundation of the unshakable, the unchangeable, the undeniable faith of our life and our confession. But we cannot stand upon what someone else said about him. We must stand upon what God has said to us about himself. So that faith becomes unmovable because it is founded upon the rock. And without the founding upon the rock, you and I will be pushed 
to and fro, cast about, and we will never know who Jesus is, and our perspective, understanding, and even our faith will change based upon floating information through print, radio, television, and voices. I don't know about you. I don't want to know somebody else's. God, I want to know my own. I want to know him. I want to call him Father. I want to call him Abba. I want to call Jesus my Savior. I want to call Jesus my Deliverer. I want to call him my healer. I want to call him who he whispers to me to be, of, of what, who he is to me in the secret places of my redemption. And when you find this, understand that is what the gates of hell cannot detour, nor can they hold you bound when there is on the inside of that same battle that they are trying to build a fortress around you. There is the Christ that you have come to know, the Christ you have come to depend on, the Christ that has in path delivered you and will yet deliver you and has a future of deliverance for you. When he is in that place that they are trying to build a fortress around you, there is a nothing but a hopeless attempt by the enemy to silence you because you can declare, thou art the son of the living God. I want to know him by myself. The discovery of who Jesus is comes from the scriptures that testify of him. Now, I know that that seems so, well, you know, oh, that's so marvelous, and that, that's so childish, and that's so... It's the only truth that you're ever going to be able to hang on to to establish who he is and to defend your faith by who he is. Can I have John, the fifth chapter, and verse 31? John 5, 31. This is a story about Jesus ministering to a man that was born blind. The disciples with Jesus looked at the young man and said, who did sin, his mother or his father? Jesus really doesn't even direct an answer to them. He just says, there is no measuring scale of why this happened, his mother, father, or him. But what I want you to realize is that I've come to do the works of the Father. And you're going to see the glory of God in the midst of the most hopeless situation that you can encounter. They did not know God as a merciful, compassionate God. They saw him as a God of wrath that responded to sin in a way that man could not comprehend. I will smite your children for your sin. Jesus says, no, I come to do the work of the Father. He is a God that does not hold the sins of the parent to the sins of the children. Ezekiel 18. And it says this, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness with me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. And ye send unto John, he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony even of John. But these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in John's preaching and revelation. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath bore witness of me. Ye have neither heard him nor heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, you have not believed. Search the scriptures, 
For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The scripture is the only place that we can get a revelation of Jesus Christ. Could again, amen? Not only does it foretell us of who he will look like and what he will do, Isaiah 35 says, and in that day, in that day the blind shall see, the deaf shall hear, the lame shall walk, and the dumb shall talk. That's why the signs of the Father bore record to Jesus. It prophesied about what he would do. What should we look for? He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He will come out of Egypt. These were all unveilings of who Christ was. Jesus says, search the scriptures. What does it say that Jesus did for you? What does the Bible speak to you personally? What does it tell you that he did at the cross? Or do we get our information just by a little three-inch pamphlet? A sermon on Sunday? A daily reading that we're always in a hurry to get through? Or a radio program that we listen to going to work? Those are really not the rootings of an unshakable identity of a Savior. Could have given an amen. All right, and I'm sorry I got these scriptures turned around. John 9.33. John 9.33. This was the blind man. And uh, he says this. If this man were not of God, talking about Jesus, he could do nothing. And they answered him and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. And dost thou teach us that they cast him out? Notice. They think because he was blind, he had been born in sin, which was not true. And then he says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? How do we believe in things that we have just heard proclaimed. It's not enough to hear Sunday school Bible stories. It must be discovered on a personal basis. Search the scriptures and find me. Could this be the real reason why our faith is so easily lukewarm? so easily cooled off, so easily set aside, so easily second priority. Maybe that is the reason that we are so easily offended, so easily angered, so easily frustrated, because those are not the characteristics of a man that knows Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But if we've just heard of him, it's human effort trying to express him. There is no human effort that can express who Jesus is and who he is unveiled to us by the Holy Ghost in the places of meditation and seeking him. And then he says this, the next verse. And he said unto him, Thou hast seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. All fear of the rejection of man gone. I don't care if I'm accepted. My mother and father may be fearful. I'm not. I, 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 I know that you have touched me. I know that only God could do what has happened to me. You are my healer. You are my savior. You are the God of Israel. I believe. And he worships 
Jesus. I don't know if it was in a marketplace. But this man that once was blind bows a bended knee and worships what people think is an ordinary carpenter's son. One more and then we're going to go into our message. Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 1. And this is a long passage of scripture, but it doesn't matter. We don't have no place else to go tonight except home to leftovers. Or stopping at the pizza, which my observation, most of us should not stop for. Just saying. And when they drew new near, yeah, when they drew to New Jerusalem, when they drew near unto Jerusalem and were come out, come to Bethpage, that the unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying to them, Now I want you to go to a village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you say this, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. In other words, remember a revelation of the Messiah coming, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the full of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches from trees and strode them in the way. And the multitude that went before and followed crying saying, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? Number one question that erupts our faith. Who is Jesus to you? Who is this? Certainly not Hosanna that they are praising. And the multitude said, Well, this is Jesus the prophet. No. He wasn't just the prophet. He told the blind man, the son of God. I am the son of God. And Jesus went into the temple of God. And he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful thing that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David! They were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearest thou what these are saying? Jesus said unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? One more, and he left them, went out of the city unto Bethpage and lodged there. What else did he do? And he put the axe to the religious system of Israel built on people that did not know who Jesus was. Are we a part of the religious crowd? There were so many of them that were saying, who is this? Hosanna, Hosanna. No, 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 who is it? Oh, it's, it's Jesus. Oh, the carpenter's son. Yeah, 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 that's him. 
They had all these different names. But only one will cause you to bow your knee. And that's the one he speaks to you. Only one will cause you to stand in faith. Every other one is just a frame of who he is. You and I tonight are going to look and answer the question, who is Jesus to you? and I know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. From the time that I was a little girl, I was tormented and I had a constant companion of fear. I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of everything. And then through drug use and then after moving out of my parents' house after graduation through using LSD and other types of drugs, I began to hallucinate and began to see images and at first they were innocent, but then they became very demonic in nature. And I lost control of my mind and my thoughts to the point that I would start hallucinating without any drug use at all. And that carried over into my life as a Christian. I was bound by fear. And then one day I was reading a scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It said that God had given me great and exceeding precious promises that by them, I could be partakers of a divine nature, that I no longer had to stay who I was, separated from Christ. Then I started to discover that God had not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. And so I began to stand on those scriptures. And then also, too, he began to speak to me out of um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that says, there's no fear in love, for perfect love has cast out fear. And I began to discover the nature of my father, it was one of love, one of mercy and kindness, and one that would never leave me nor forsake me. And so through those promises, I have a new mind. I have the mind of Christ, and I have the Prince of Peace with me always. that has set me free of fear and torment, and I give him praise and thanks for all that he's done. All the love I've ever Redeemer. He's my chain breaker. Uh, I went to church when I was young, but not really. I just went because my parents told me to. And uh, Mom and Dad got divorced when I was really young, but my dad told me two things, how to drink and how to be a golfer. And I was a better drinker than I was a golfer. That's too bad. Um, I know that uh, things are going okay. I met, a, I met a beautiful lady in Germany, and uh, the night I met her, I told my mom, I called Ohio and I was in Germany, I said, I met the girl I'm going to marry tonight, and I did. 
So we came back to the States and um, I was doing my job as a recruiter in Iowa and uh, she started getting sick. And uh, at the age of 29, she died of cancer. Um, so that changed my life a whole lot. I didn't know how to deal with it. I never grieved. And uh, I went to alcohol because that's what my dad taught me. I went to drugs because that's what I learned. And I know that uh, after I went to Desert Storm for a year, I had to get out because I had two children. I was a single parent. I just had to, I had to change my career, which I did. And um, I met a lady. I got saved. We had children. I was ministering in, jail, in prisons and in jails around Ohio. And uh, while I was doing that, things were going on in my house that I didn't know about, so I had to get a divorce. Um, my sons, three sons are taking about 11, mile, 11 hours away, which is hard because I love being a father. But uh, I stayed sober about a year after that. And I had one drink, and that lasted seven years. Um, seven years, I just walked away from God. I was mad at God. I remember walking around the, the track in Sydney, uh, yelling at God, cursing God. You know, why would you do this to me? I don't deserve this. And um, as time went on, my drinking got worse. I was lucky to keep my career. Um, I would uh, dig pennies out of my car and under my seat to find enough money to buy a 12-pack or a 24-ounce beer. I'd walk to work because I didn't want to waste gas because that was money for alcohol. Um, my cell phone was caught off. I had no cable. I was getting evicted and my power was getting cut off. I had nothing. And I'm making a good living and every paycheck, I'm $200 in a hole. Um, so fast forward about February, the last week I drank was February 20th and on. I didn't go to work. I was drinking two pints of vodka and a six-pack of 24 ounces a day. And I drink all night, get up at 9 o'clock, have a sandwich, and go get more alcohol on expired plates. Uh, February 27th of 2014, I was, I was done. I wanted to just end it all. I was, I was serious. I just didn't know what to do. I was in this darkness and this hell that I couldn't get out of. I tried to grab the end of the end of the. Uh, hole and it just melted in my hands. All I seen was darkness. And um, I didn't know what to do and I was went to my lunch box and I thought there was more liquor in there and there was not. But I found my uh, state cell phone, which I'd never bring home. I thought, why do I have my state cell phone? And I grabbed it and I put my hand on my refrigerator and there was a uh, stick or a magnet that said uh, Ohio Employee Assistant Program. And I took this phone that I wasn't supposed to have and this number and I called it and told him what was going on. And uh, about two minutes, cops showed up. I wasn't in trouble, I wasn't raising no cane, I was quiet, I didn't want to be bothered. I was in myself. And they said if I wanted help, and I said yes. So they took me to the emergency room in Sydney and I had a .4 blood alcohol, and I was walking. Uh, that was the last day I drank. And, uh, I remember sitting at my wife's grave in Sydney, drinking whiskey and stuff, and you know, three or four o'clock in the morning. And today I go there with my daughter, granddaughter, and we eat ice cream cones and make and put flowers there. Um, my granddaughter even said, "Papa, you're standing on our head." And uh, you know, I had things happen in my life. I don't have to drink over it. I've lost my I lost a grandson last year. Uh, lady I was engaged to decided she wanted to go the other way, so I had to back off from that. And uh, I cannot express how much Jesus Christ has done for me. I love him so much. I cry when I sing, and I cry when I go to bed. That's how much I love my Savior, Jesus Christ.
Felicia, and I know Jesus as the restorer of my hope. Next month marks one year that my husband called me and said he was not in love with me anymore and that he wanted a divorce. And he ended a 14-year marriage on a phone call. So I was obviously broken and devastated and confused and angry and felt all sorts of things. Um, so the first couple of days, um, I sort of just sat around in shock and I had to um, take care of my two children, kind of go through the motions. Um, I had my closest family and my friends um, were always there for me, but at the end of the day, it was just me. And I knew that I had to raise these kids on my own now. And I think the most hurtful part was that, you know, I had been with him since I was 16 years old. So I never knew anything, a life without him. And I could be okay with the fact that he wasn't in love with me, but we sort of grew up together. So I'm sorry. <clears throat> the idea that he could give up on me like as my friend and just leave me alone to raise two children by myself and to be financially everything on me by myself and I've, I've never done that so that was the most hurtful part <clears throat> so for the first few weeks I could feel depression pressing on me. I could feel it. And I, every night, I would, I, you know, all day long, I just, please let it be nighttime so I can go to sleep so I don't have to think about it or feel it. Um, I just begged for nighttime to come. And I, I knew that that was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be doing that. So I remember one morning, I was laying on my living room floor broken, sobbing, screaming out to God, please, please help me understand. I, I, I can't do this on my own. And I heard him say, stand up. Yes, you can. We're not living here, Alicia. This is not what we're doing. So I stood up and I decided I have to do this for my kids. I have to do this. There is no other option. So I became a faithful tither, and <clears throat> within, I think, two weeks, I got three job offers that I didn't even apply for. I mean, people just gave me a, just, here, do you want this job? And every time I was turning around, people were giving me envelopes of money, just sometimes thousands of dollars, just handing me money. And I think it happened seven or eight times maybe, and I think on the fourth or fifth time, I honestly looked up and just laughed because it was just like, Jesus was just like, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm never going to forget about you. I'm never going to leave you. And, you know, my ex-husband gave up on me. He left me, but Jesus never did, and he never will. My name's David, and I know Jesus as my healer. I like to think of myself as being a little bit adventurous and stuff. I've done whitewater rafting down West Virginia and four-wheeling down Southern Ohio and Hocking Hills and scuba diving and uh, ride motorcycles and a few other things. And once I decided I'd go parachute jumping over in Salina, Ohio, which is a big mistake, and uh, about died that day anyhow. Uh, 
ended up in the hospital, pulled my shoulder out of my socket and stuff, and tore some stuff up, and from that point on, I started having problems with my shoulder. I could be I'd laying in my bed, and it'd pop out. I couldn't get my arm up over my head. Um, had different problems with it. But anyhow, that was around uh, year 2000, and uh, was in building two. This building wasn't even in existence. And we had a, a gentleman, an evangelist come by the name of Joe Martin to our church, one of our first miracle services that pastor put on with him. And I was there sitting in that service. And actually, I got a little bit ahead of myself here. Basically, I went to the doctor because I was tired of dealing with it. I'd have to go in the emergency room. Um, my wife had to pull my shoulder. I had to bang it against the wall. It just hurt. Something you didn't want to go through. But uh, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you know, there's nothing we can do to you. You need to see a specialist. I went to see a specialist. The specialist said, yeah, we can fix you, but you're going to have to have surgery. And, you know, we're going to have to cut your shoulder, probably your tricep, your bicep's been torn, and, uh, you know, you're going to lose some movement and some mobility and have a few restrictions. But um, now back to building two, year 2000, Joe Martin comes, him pastor's doing a miracle crusade, and I'm sitting in that service. And uh, during that service, he said, there's someone here God wants to do a work in their shoulder. And I immediately got up and went down front. And when I got down there, to my surprise, there was somebody on my right, somebody on my left. I'm thinking, ugh. But you know what? They prayed, and I just believed that was my moment. That was for me. And when I went back to my seat, I don't know if the gentleman on the right got it or the gentleman on the left, but 19 years later, I've never had surgery. I, I've never been back to the emergency room. Jesus healed me. You know what? He not only healed me physically, though, but he repaired my marriage. He healed my marriage. He healed my mind. He took my broken life, and he healed me, and he made me whole. And I know Jesus as healer. Jesus as a faithful, merciful, graceful, gracious Savior. Uh, my story begins when I was a kid. It won't take that long, I promise. But uh, when I was just a kid, uh, the Lord brought this back to my, my remembrance. Um, I would always want to go to my grandmother's house. I always wanted to be there. And they would let me go to my grandma's house, and I recall every night, I would jump in bed with my grandma. My grandpa had passed, but I jumped in bed with my grandma, and she would pray, and she taught me to pray. And she said, here's, here's how you pray. And she prayed the Lord's Prayer, and I prayed the Lord's Prayer and learned it, and I, I went to Sunday school. And then I got to be a teenager, and I decided I didn't need any of that. And so I developed an attitude as a teenager that, eh, that's not for me. Um, I had sung songs about Jesus. I had read, you know, the kids' Bible and so forth. But um, I decided it's not for me. And then as I became an adult, I decided uh, this church thing is all about money. And that's all it is, money. They just want money. So um, all that time, my grandmother was praying for me. Um, and as I grew older, I, I met my wife, Annie, over here in the front row. And we got married. And... Um, we, she wanted to go to church, and I was like, ah, church is all about money. And I was, I was like, we're good people. We're good people. We do the right things. We, we're good people. Um, and then uh, after we'd been married a long time, um, we, uh, some new neighbors moved into our neighborhood. And they were bold enough to speak to us about Jesus and having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was like, ah, 
that. So in, in the final analysis, I said, well, I'll go to church one time. And he was like, let's go. I said, I'll go one time. I'm going to go one time. So we came one time. That was 13 years ago. So, um, but, but the, the thing I want to share with you is not only the power of prayer. Prayer is amazing. And I've had so many people pray for me through health issues. I've had so many people pray for me to be saved in the first place. And they've come to me after I got saved and said, I prayed for you for years. And so God is faithful. God is faithful. And he, he saves. He came to pay for the sins of the entire world. He pays for all of our sins. And um, what uh, I guess what I want to finish with is that I've led a few people to Christ. I've had an opportunity to lead a few to Christ. But the, the neatest one was my mom. Um, I'm sorry about that. In 2009, uh, 2008, the fall of 2008, she came to visit us. And as she was leaving, the Lord said, you should pray the prayer of faith with her and get her saved. And, I, and as she was leaving, I ran out to her car and I said, Mom, you've known about Jesus for years. You need to give your life to Jesus. And she sobbed and she said, I want to. So I led her in the sinner's prayer. She got saved. Four or five months later, she developed cancer. I got to spend the end of her life with her and, and help her through it. Um, but the Lord worked it out from my grandmother's prayer, you know, 40 years later to saving Annie and I and then allowing me the opportunity to lead my mom to the Lord. So thank you. All the love I've ever found is like a flood comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I need all of you. I need all of you. May your love ran red and my sin washed white. I owe all to you. I owe all to you. Jesus. My name is Sherry, and I know Jesus as faithful. He's so faithful. Um, when I was younger, married my brother. I've been married. faithful every time, every season, every moment. But the, the neatest thing is I'm having a frustrated day at work and my daughter calls. She says, hey mom, guess what? Guess what God did for me today? And I'm telling you, that is the coolest thing ever is to see the result from generation to generation, to the next generation, and seeing Jesus faithful. He is faithful to me. He's faithful. He's just faithful. My name is Pete. I met Jesus in the midst of the darkest moment of my life. My wife told me that she was going to leave me if I didn't get help. I went for help. They told me they couldn't help me in this atmosphere 
So they were looking at doing something someplace else. I came home after them telling me they couldn't help me. And on a Sunday morning, I walked into my bedroom and I knelt. And I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I never felt anything. And I got up and I told God, look, they can't help me. But I'm going to be a Christian. From this moment on, I'm going to live like one. So you might as well treat me like one. That was my great conversion. Out of that, though, I had been in a marriage with my wife for 10 years. And we had 10 years of living H-E double hockey sticks. We came to the point that she didn't love me. I didn't love her. All types of things of unfaithfulness from my side was taking place. And we were just cohabitating. And Phyllis had got a job so that she could have enough money to divorce me. Well, in the midst of her getting that, just about when she had enough, some lady witnessed to her. Phyllis came uh, home, went into the bathroom, knelt by the commode, and gave her life to Jesus Christ. She came and told me, and I said, yeah, 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 go, go to bed. Just get off me. And so she went to, back to work the next day and was telling the lady, you know, you know, she's happy about getting saved. And then she says, you know, I almost have enough money to get a divorce. This woman was older, and she just didn't believe in this new hip-hop from person to person stuff. And she said, you can't get married. You can't get a divorce. You're a Christian. In other words, you live by another set of laws. And Phyllis said, you should have told me that before I got saved. Her words. Well, that began a journey. And Phyllis was praying, God, change him or kill him. And I wasn't praying at all. I was just telling God, you know, what am I going to do? We had a terrible marriage. I was a, an abuser, a liar, a deceiver. The list goes on and on. But God came to me in that little kitchen on 204 South Street. And one of the early mornings that I used for prayer, and he said, what are you going to do? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? He said, what are you going to do about your marriage? I said, well, I don't like her. Don't want to be around her. Not attract her to her. Okay. Then I made this statement. What do you want me to do? That kind of closes all alternatives. And he said, I want to heal your marriage. I never heard such words in my life. Heal a marriage. What in the world is that? That's like snake oil. And the Lord said, just continued his conversation. This was before the existence of Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagin. And he said these words to me. I want you to say you love her. I said, I don't. He said, I know it. He said, I want you to say that you're attracted to her. I said, I'm not. He said, I know that. He said, I want you to say that you like being around her. I said, I don't. He said, I, I know we've established that. And every time he would say, I want you to say I love you. I said, I don't. Absolutely not. Well, as the night went on, the morning was coming. I tried it. It was like bubbles from dish soap 
coming out of my mouth. It was so bitter. And I thought, it's like lying. Well, I started saying, I love my wife. I'm attracted to my wife. I like being around my wife. And pretty soon, my heart began to be seeded and new growth started coming. So I discovered God now here 38 years ago, 38 years later. That means I've been married to the same woman for 48 years. And I discovered God as a light in the most darkest, confusing place of my life. I discovered him in the light that made me so blind that I couldn't see what I had and I couldn't see where I was going. I didn't see a way out. Divorce is the only way out. And God asked me, I need for you to make a decision. That day God healed me of hopelessness because there was no way that this resurrection was going to take place. The world was telling us it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. They were against us. Certainly the devil was against us, but God was for us. And in the midst of this, I found him to be the God that ordered my steps. He even gave me a word for my season. I discovered God as a God that delivers from bitterness, anger, hate, division, disunity, hurt. I discovered him to be my help, to enable me to do whatever it took that she could be safe and that she could be loved. He became the God, the rudder of my life. My marriage is only a symbolism of my commitment to him. And so I discovered him in the darkest, most confusing, hopeless place, isolated in my life that a man could be. I found him to be a relationship healer, a marriage restorer, one that can be trusted and followed. You know, tonight you heard ordinary people. Not preachers, not people that, you know, have calls and all that glittery stuff. Just people. People that have met Jesus. But as Jesus came riding in on that donkey that day, to some, maybe the woman from Nain said, Oh, he is the resurrector of my son. Maybe there was a blind man that brought his son to see the man that had healed him. He was a blind eye opener. Maybe to some that he was a bread multiplier, a fish increaser. To another, he certainly was a storm calmer. To others, he was just the voice of wisdom. I don't know what he was to all those people that were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But they were shouting and surrendering and declaring and probably being sneered at, looked down on. But they were declaring, Hosanna, the son of the living God. He that cometh in the name of the Lord. He is the king of Israel. I don't know who he is through your eyes. But I do know that you are only as stable and as faithful as you see him in your life. And if 
you have moved away from the rock. It's time for you to get back. It's time for you to recalculate what you think he is or who you thought he was in your life. Who is he today? Who is he? Does your circumstances redefine him? Do your finances redefine what he's doing? Does your state of health cause your testimony to be silent? Have you stopped sharing him with others? If you have, someone has stolen his identity from you. So I want you to just look at why would you be on that road into Jerusalem with your hands raised, your garments on the ground, and you crying, Hosanna to the Son of David, the King of Israel. Why would you be there? Who is he? Why would you cry in your community that he is the Messiah? Why? 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 If you're here today, you don't know him as your personal Savior. Maybe you've known him and just... His identity got taken away from you. You know, it is the number one theft in the world today is identity theft. Maybe somebody stole him. Maybe you started thinking that Christianity is hard. That's a lie. Jesus said, come unto me. Take of my yoke. For my burden is easy. Don't let your circumstances steal who Jesus is. Hold it fast. Take root. Stick to the rock. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've drifted from him. Maybe you've been unfaithful to church. You say, well, you don't know you need church to be, to be a Christian, said the person that never read the Bible. It's amazing to me that I'm a follower of Jesus and he was in his synagogue every Sunday. But you're in the mall every other Sunday. Something wrong with your identity and his. Well, I just don't like church. I'm sure Jesus didn't either. Well, there were devils in the church that were in Jesus' day too. He went there and cast them out. I want to encourage you. Find out who Jesus is in your life because the day is coming and is drawing near that we must hold fast our faith. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet for a moment. Hallelujah. There are going to be altar workers down here for those of you that want to give your life to Jesus Christ. And to those of you that want to recommit your life and those of you that say, I haven't been in church for a while and I'm going to make a, an agreement to come back, start serving God. Well, I don't like this. Don't, don't come for the messenger. You come for the message. Amen. Listen, Balaam listened to a donkey. You can listen to me. So if you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, if you're a backslider, if you're coming back, igniting your faith to be faithful to the church, I'm going to ask you at the end of this service to come right down here. Now, before I pray and dismiss you tonight, we're going to receive an offering. This goes to the offering of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So far this year, we've won, we've led probably a, almost 200,000 people to Jesus. 
see multiple blind eyes, cripples, and families renewed and pastors encouraged. That's what these finances go for. So just make your checks payable and only believe ministries. We are going to have you bring that, and then I'm going to close with blessing you. All right, bring your tithing and your offerings unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Tonight, just ordinary people. I heard those testimonies and I thought, I've been golfing with Chuck. I didn't know all that. I talked to those people on Sundays. I never knew that. You know, when you walk by people, you don't always know what brought their scars and what victories they possess. But I do know that Jesus is waiting to be whatever you need for him to be so that you can be where he has called us to come. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, you declared in your word that God, whosoever we blessed, would be blessed. God, I loose blessing. I loose blessing upon people's hearts. Let them always stay soft and sensitive. Upon their mind, God, let peace reign in every thought. Let them be rooted and let them be assured God and confident that you're on their side and that you're with them God I pray for finances that God needs would be met I pray God that jobs would be provided promotions will come that God families will be united and unified in Jesus name I pray God blessing upon the wayward children of the people that are here tonight god put a hook in their mouth bring them home god and god bring them to the cross that god they'll come home with a heart filled with thanksgiving return them god deliver them drugs and alcohol deliver them from brokenness and bitterness god and fear god i just ask you to bring the seed of the righteous home god bless them bless their families strengthen them in all that they do in jesus mighty name amen and amen god bless you